Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the prayers of our Lord Jesus on behalf of His people that uh, we are safe and secure in this world, that we are being sanctified even as we live in this world because our Lord Jesus is sanctifying us. I thank You for His prayers for us so many thousands of years ago that are being answered even today in our lives. Continue to sanctify us by Your Word even as we have opened Your Word, have read it, and now I have the uh, awesome privilege of proclaiming it. And so I ask that you would answer this prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. For the next couple of weeks, I'm planning, if the Lord wills, of course, to dwell on this passage in uh, verses 6 through 19. Uh, as, as Houston read this passage, you saw that there's a lot here. The more I read this passage this week, uh, the more convinced uh, I became as to how necessary it is for us to think very deeply about the message in these verses. This passage tells us how to live Christianly in a non-Christian world. It goes without saying that our culture is changing very rapidly. When I was growing up... Um, Non-Christians generally welcomed Christians as a positive influence in our society. They may not have wanted for Christians to evangelize them, but non-Christians absolutely wanted the children of Christians to play with their children in order that they would have, their children would have that positive influence. Christian virtues were celebrated and people who actively opposed Christian morality were viewed with, with uh, suspicion. Now Christians, it seems to be, are viewed with suspicion. I thought of giving an example or two of how, uh, how greatly in our society the opinion of Christianity has changed. But it occurred to me that for most of you, that it would be redundant for me to give examples. Because those of you who have lived uh, through the changes in our culture understand just how much our culture has changed, particularly over the past 30 years. You're well aware of how different attitudes are toward Christians than they were 30 years ago. It does occur to me that our younger generation, that is, those of you who are younger than 30, uh, that you did not experience these changes in the way that many of us have. You'd be surprised that there was a very strong movement in the 1970s called the Moral Majority. And it was a serious movement. Today, if we talk about a Moral Majority, uh, we... we can't really talk about that um, in a serious manner. Uh, I assume 
for those of you who are not as old as as um, I'm getting to be, that we might have a difficult time convincing you uh, that Christians were a very powerful voting block in our nation, very influential. But now that influence has waned greatly. I'm mentioning this not because I want to cry and complain about how how bad our culture has become. Rather, I want to point out to our younger generations that our society's attitude toward Christianity is very different than previous generations. It used to be, if you wanted to rebel against society, against the trends in society, you'd rebel against Christianity. Now if you want to rebel against society and against the trends, uh, the way you would rebel is by becoming a Christian. Things have so greatly turned upside down. I mention this because the division between the world and Christianity should not surprise us. Christ said that there would be division. In fact, that's the whole reason for his prayer here in verses six, uh, or in, in chapter seventeen, verse six through nineteen. <clears throat> Look at verses fourteen through sixteen in particular. Jesus said, "I have given them your word, talking about his people. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not." Of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Did you hear how many times, just in those three verses, that Jesus drew the division between the world and his people, between the world and himself? And not only in those three verses, but also, listen to verse 6. And if you have your Bible open, and I do encourage you to have your Bible open, look with me at verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Also, verse 9, Jesus said, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. It's clear that Christians, even though living in this world, are not of this world. Christians do not belong to this world. Jesus is drawing a division, a distinction between the world and Christians. There are only two groups of people in this world. There are Christians and the world. What side of the division do you fall upon? Do you belong to Jesus Christ or do you belong to the world? On the day of judgment, Jesus is going to divide humanity. He goes into great detail about that in Matthew chapter 25. He told His disciples about... He gave them a picture of what it's going to be like on the judgment day. 
that He's going to be sitting upon the throne judging humanity and He's going to divide all humanity. The sheep are going to be on His right. The goats or the world is going to be on His left. And He says in this passage, He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then He concludes um, at the end of verse of Matthew 25, and He says, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so there's going to be a division. There's not going to be anybody in between. There's going to be the world, and there's going to be Christians. So I ask again, what side of the division do you belong to? Do you belong to the world, or do you belong to Jesus Christ? Young people, and by young people, I mean everyone who's under 30 years old, but particularly those of you who are 20, those of you who are in high school, I want to specifically speak to you. You've been raised in a culture that tells you that you should be ashamed to be a Christian. You are told that because you're a Christian, you're judgmental, you are unloving, you are uncool, and you are a science denier. And they say other things as well. And you are encouraged to conform to the pattern of this world, to conform your thinking to the pattern of this world, to conform your actions and your desires according to the pattern of this world. Don't listen to the world. Listen to the Scriptures. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to, the, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Or James chapter 4, verse 4, You adulterous people, James writes, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17, through 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, young people, are you allied with the world? Are you allied with Jesus Christ? What does it mean to love the world? Because John, John in 1 John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So what does it mean to love the world? Loving the world 
in a word means living apart from God. But it's more of an attitude than an action. If you love the world, you view your life, you make your choices, you center your desires on things other than God. Now there's this mistaken idea that floats around in Christian circles that uh, says that um, worldliness means doing these things, these certain things. And if you do these certain things, then you're worldly. So, for instance, uh, in some circles, people define worldliness almost exclusively as playing cards or dancing or listening to secular music or going to movies or having a beer. If your definition of worldliness uh, centers on those types of things, you've got a bad definition of what it means to be worldly. There are many people, in fact, who never do any of these things. Yet God would define them as worldly. In fact, a person can, can subscribe to the Christian faith. Subscribe to the Christian faith and believe all the, the, the right orthodox doctrines and still be of the world. To be worldly is to be governed by the thinking patterns and by the outlook of culture rather than by Jesus Christ. To be worldly is to be governed by the thinking patterns and outlook of a system that is opposed to God. People opposed to Christianity like to think that they are free. Free to make their own choices, free to live their own lives however they decide. They don't realize that they are enslaved by the world that they are controlled by material interest. They all conform to a pattern of self-concern. And so instead of being free to make their own choices, they are enslaved by their passions, by their desires to feed self. You know, and we have a lot of isms in the world. We have communism. We have socialism. We have fascism. We have capitalism. All of these things without Christ are really just seeking self-interest. Each promises happiness. Communism promises happiness. Socialism promises happiness. Capitalism promises happiness. All of them promise prosperity. All are ultimately empty. That first John passage, that first John chapter two says, the world and its desires and all of its systems, all of its isms, they are all passing away. They all come to nothing. All governing systems, all political associations, all will disappear because all will be destroyed. And so it's tragic that people give themselves 
to this world. They pursue the world with all their energy and vigor. And they are giving themselves to something that ultimately will not last. Something that God will bring into judgment on the judgment day. Giving themselves to something that will not save. And even more tragic than a complete ignorance of their enslavement to the world and of them giving themselves to the world is they miss out on the blessings of belonging to Christ. And I want to highlight just this morning this one issue in verse 9. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom You have given Me, for they are Yours. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, I don't pray for the world. That is tragic. To live your life here on this earth and to be so separated from Christ that you never receive the benefit of His prayers. Oh, I want Jesus praying for me. I want Him interceding for me. Those who are in the world are shut out from Christ. They are shut out from His blessings. They are shut out from His prayers. He says here in verse 9, I do not pray for the world, but I pray for those whom You've given Me out of the world. Well, this... I, I urge you, if you don't belong to Christ, flee to Him now. Ask Him to take you out of the world and bring you into His kingdom. What does it mean to live as a Christian in the world? What does it mean not to be in the world? Because I would hope that you do not want to be in the world. However young you may be, I hope that this world is not your goal. That Christ is your goal and your treasure. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what does it mean to be in Jesus Christ? It means to submit to Him. It means to trust in Him. It means to not being controlled by the world, but by being controlled by His Word. So for instance, look at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. In other words, I've revealed your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you have given them to me, and they have kept your word. And so, Christ's word is important to you because you belong to Christ. Let me ask you, is Christ the center of your world? The center of your life? Is your relationship with God the controlling factor, the controlling focus of your life? Do you desire to know God and fellowship with Him more than anything else? 
you say, well, I, I think I'm of the world. How can I come to Christ? Well, simply trust Him. Because He makes He takes you from the world and every one of us were born into this world and we were of the world. Christ took us out of the world and brought us into the kingdom, into His kingdom. And so there's a transformation that takes place when you, um, when you come to Christ because you are transformed from the world to Christ's kingdom. Christ died on the cross to not only make that transformation possible, but to bring that transformation about in all of His people whom the Father had given to Him. And then, when that transformation takes place, appearance won't be your chief concern. Possessions won't be your chief concern. Your position in life won't be your chief concern. Christ will be your chief concern. And not only that, you can have an assurance, again from verse 9, that Christ is making intercession for you. That His prayers that are offered up here in, in John chapter 17 are yours because He's praying for you there in that passage. Now, if you have studied this passage um, in a commentary, you're going to know that some of the um, some of the discussion about this passage is: Does this passage refer only to the twelve disciples, or does it refer to the Christians that were converted under Christ's ministry? And there's a lot of discussion. It's impossible to determine exactly, specifically, who's Christ praying for. We know in verses uh, 20 and following that He's praying for people not yet born. But even those prayers, whether they be for the disciples, whether they be for Mary and Martha and Lazarus and others who were converted while Christ was here on earth, all those promises, all those prayers reach beyond those people and are for us as well. And so as I bring this uh, sermon to a close, I, wanted, I, I began thinking this week about those disciples, the eleven, of course, minus uh, Judas, and all those that came to Christ during, um, during His ministry, and those who came to Christ uh, in the uh, decades immediately following his, uh, his ministry. Those early Christians suffered unlike anything we have ever experienced. Now, there are Christians suffering in the world over in the Mideast, over in the Far East, but even they are not suffering to the degree that uh, we read about in the New Testament or we read about in the book of Revelation. Uh, they were suffering tremendously. The book of Revelation was written to encourage them. And so in chapter 7, Revelation 7, the, 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 the saints who were martyred were crying out, God, how long till you bring us justice? And uh, they continued suffering. But through their suffering, 
or in spite of their suffering, they changed the world. How do we explain this small group of people with very little influence, very little education, suffering under the thumb of the most ruthless rulers that the world had to offer, suffering under the power of the Roman Empire, suffering under the persecution of the Jewish religion. How did they change the world? How can we explain that? Well, they rose above their suffering. And you know why they were able to rise above their suffering? Because Christ prayed for them. Not only did He pray for them, but they had this attitude that this world was not their home. That Christ was their home because He was their treasure. Can we change the world today? Can we be influential in our culture that is so opposed to Christ? Yes, by not being of this world. By clinging to Christ, knowing that He has prayed for us, that He is at the Father's right hand, not somewhere on the other side of heaven, but at the Father's right hand, making intercession for us. And He is building His kingdom through His people, through you, through me, through our brothers and sisters scattered about the world who are suffering greatly. We can be influential, but in order for us to do that, we cannot be of the world. Let me ask you again. Are you of the world? Are you of Jesus Christ as we pray together? Father, again we thank You for Christ's prayers for us. I pray, Father, that You would help all of us who belong to Jesus Christ not to get entangled with the world, but to cling to Jesus Christ and Him alone. I pray in His name. Amen. You prepare for the table of the Lord. Would you take your hymn book?